Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. In John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. They're worried. They're concerned over the fact that he's been talking about leaving them. And he says to them, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Not long ago, I had the funeral of a person I never met. Happens on average about once every two weeks. I'll have uh, be asked to speak at a funeral or memorial service of someone that I have not met or someone who didn't have a church or didn't have a pastor. And so in order to get a better idea of who the, the deceased person was, I asked the family members of that person several questions. One of those questions is, can you tell me anything about this person's religious faith? Anything at all? Did they have, uh, did, they, did they believe? What did they believe? Tell me about their religious faith. And uh, a few times, the answer that I received from the family members was something like this. Well, uh, she believes in God. She believed in God, and she loved to read the Bible. Believed in God. She loved to read the Bible. And my response to them is, great, that's a good thing to do. I think everybody in here uh, would agree that it is good to believe in God. Yes? And I think everybody in here would agree that it is good to love and actively read the Bible. Does anybody disagree with those two points? Would you just raise your hand and let's, let's pray maybe, uh, you know? Um, But here's the problem. Here's the problem. And I don't say this to these families, not in a direct way, but I I just, because I want to leave the door open for them to come back and anytime they have any theological questions or questions about God and life, I want to leave the door open for them to come back to me. But I want to say, believing in God is not enough. I also want to say, loving the Bible and actively reading the Bible, as wonderful as that is, is not enough. We're in a five-part series called Believe. That's the reason the band was singing, Don't Stop Believing, uh, is because we're in this five-part series. Last Sunday, we started it with a a message that that can be summed up by saying, believe in God. And we gave uh, some reasons for believing in God. God. One is that the Bible assumes God's existence. The, the, the Bible never even ever entertains the idea that there is no God. But for a lot of people, uh, believing in God because the Bible says so, the Bible tells me so, is not enough. And so we talked about some philosophical reasons last week for belief in God. You remember one of the things I said was that everything that had a beginning everything that began to exist has a cause outside of it, bigger than it, that brought it into being. You remember me saying that, those of you who are here? Um, So, uh, the universe, we know, had a beginning. Therefore, because it had a beginning, the universe has a cause that is bigger than the universe, 
more powerful than the universe and outside the universe that brought the universe into existence. Everything that has a beginning has a cause that brought it into existence, all right? So if the universe had a beginning, then it had a cause. That cause outside the universe, bigger than the universe. And when you look at the universe and see how orderly and well-designed it is, for instance, natural laws, they, they continue consistently to work the exact same way, day in and day out, year in and year out. So the, our universe and our world has uh, evidence of, of some very intricate design. So whatever the cause of the universe was or is, it's bigger than the universe, outside the universe, and far more intelligent than the universe. And when you look at all the characteristics of that particular cause, we said that it sounds a whole lot like God. In fact, God is a better explanation than any other explanation I've ever heard for that which caused the universe to exist. Now, someone might say, wait a minute, but, but God had a beginning, didn't he? So therefore, he should have had a cause. Actually, we all believe that there is something that has never had a beginning. Everybody believes that. Some people believe that the universe is that which has never had a beginning. Others believe that God and the universe has never had a beginning. We who are Christians, those of us who follow Jesus, we believe that the universe had a definite beginning, but the cause which brought the universe into existence is God, and God is the one being who never had a beginning. And so if, if, if there's something that never had a beginning, then it never had a cause. And there's going to be something in existence that never had a cause. That, that one being is God. God. But it's not enough just to believe in God. In James chapter 2, verse 19, James, the writer in the New Testament, is talking about true faith, what real faith looks like, saving faith. And he says this. He says, to, he says to an imaginary objector, he says, you believe in God. That's great. But did you know that the devils also believe in God, in one God, and they tremble? In other words, it, when I come across someone and I say, well, what's your religious faith? What do you believe? And they say, well, I, I, I believe in God, which is great. However, just to believe in God and to take it no further is the same level of belief that Satan himself has. So to believe in one God is no better than Satan. And let me tell you, Satan is not going to end up in heaven. So if you and I want to end up in heaven, if we want eternal life now, we have to have a faith that's deeper and bigger than the faith that Satan has. And Satan believes there's one God. And Satan also believes the Bible. Not only does he believe it, he knows it better than you and I do. So, that is not saving faith what he has. So what do we have to do? What, 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 what is the next logical step? You know, we believe in God. We're told that's not enough. What do we need to take? What was the next logical step? Well, Jesus tells us in John 14, 1. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. That was last Sunday. Believe also in me. Believe in God. Take it the next step believe in Jesus. Let me tell you, this next step is absolutely crucial. 
It, it makes the difference between an eternity in heaven versus an, an eternity separated from God and not in heaven. So, we want to believe in Jesus. That's the title of this message today. But still, there are some people who ask this question. Okay, hey, I believe in God, but why do I have to believe in Jesus? Why do I have to believe in Jesus? Why can't I believe uh, any other way, any other faith? Why do I have to believe in Jesus? And so that's the question we want to answer here uh, this morning. Even if we believe in God, why should we believe in Jesus? Now, if you're taking notes on this one on the back of your bulletin, there are five points there that I want to give you. And the first point is this. And, and we will t- this is a progression of steps uh, toward believing in Jesus. All of it given as rationale for why we should believe in Jesus. First off is this, every human being is capable of wrongdoing. Every human being is capable of wrongdoing. Now, I'm not even going to bother with giving you illustrative material of that. I'm not going to bother giving you biblical or theological explanations for that. And I'll tell you why. You already know that's to be true. You already know that every human being is capable of wrongdoing because you know that you are capable of wrongdoing and you know that everybody you know is capable of wrongdoing, right? Hello? So, I want to go to the second point in your notes there. Not only is every human capable of wrongdoing, but every human being is prone to wrongdoing. Prone to wrongdoing. We call this in in Christian circles the doctrine of original sin. It basically says this, that every one of us is born with a sinful nature, thanks to our ancestors, Adam and Eve, who allowed sin into the human race. We're all born with a sinful nature, which means that even the youngest baby, it won't take too long before that baby knows to do wrong and does wrong because we're born leaning toward wrongdoing, leaning toward sin. Even the best of us, we are born leaning toward wrongdoing. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sin-sick, he says. Who can understand it? Talking about our proneness to do wrong. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the Apostle Paul goes even further. He says, for all have sinned and come short, fall short of the glory of God. Paul is not just saying we're capable of it. He's not just saying we're prone to it. He's saying we're going to do wrong. We will commit wrong. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. Again, the Apostle Paul For the desires of the flesh, that is our sinful nature, are against the Holy Spirit and against the desires of the Holy Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you are wanting to do. So all of us have this sinful nature within us, a tendency to do wrong. First John chapter 1 verse 8, John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we have established uh, uh, two things right away. Number one, each of us is capable of wrongdoing. Second, each of us is prone to wrongdoing, and Paul even goes further and says, we're not just prone to do it, we will do it. We will commit 
wrongdoing. So we all know that there's something that is wrong in us. And and that's not saying that human beings are necessarily bad people. I'm looking out here and I see a lot of good people. People who are nice and they're kind and they love other people. They love other people even though they may not know their names or know who they are. You're good people. But even the best of people, deep down, has the the existence of the sinful nature. It is a selfish nature that we were born with, and it is a problem. And the problem with it is, is this, and this is number three. We are powerless to fix ourselves or repair ourselves. Now, We can go and we can find every self-help book in the world. We can go to every other religious faith on the planet and they will tell us, they will tell us that we can, through following a set of instructions or following a set of commands or following a certain number of steps on a certain path, we can fix ourselves. Here's the problem with that. Number one, the Bible disagrees with it, which is most important. And second, when you get down to the end of those instructions or they get down to the end of those laws or you get down to the end of that path that's supposed to fix all of our problems, we get to the end of it and we look at ourselves and we say, there's still something wrong. There's still something wrong in me. And so what the Bible teaches is that, yes, there's something wrong with us, the sinful nature, but no, we cannot repair ourselves. We cannot fix ourselves. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Ephesian churches in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he says this, For it is by grace that you've been saved. Grace means it's a free gift. It's free. It's free. You don't work for it. You don't follow a whole bunch of meritorious instructions to get it. You don't have to obey a bunch of laws to get it. You don't have to follow an eightfold path to get it. It is free. For it is by grace you have been saved. How do you get it? Through faith. Faith is your belief. You place your belief and trust in Jesus Christ. And he says, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So here you have two phrases. It is by grace you've been saved on the one hand. It is the gift of God on the other hand. These are two ways of saying the exact same thing. Salvation is a free gift from God that you and I simply receive by faith. He says it's not of works, not by works, so that nobody can boast. Now, so all of us are capable, prone, and willing to do wrong, we cannot fix ourselves. What has to be the answer? We have a huge dilemma. We recognize there's something wrong. We can't fix ourselves. God recognized that. And so here is the fourth point. God came to earth in the person of his son Jesus to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. You see, here's the deal. Here's why you and I can't fix ourselves, because we are sinful ourselves. I can't fix my own sinfulness, let alone try to fix yours. And you can't fix your own sinfulness, let alone fix mine or anyone else's. That's the problem that we're in. The only person who could, uh, who could fix what's wrong in us is someone who, number one, uh, had the power of God in him. Number two, who was sinless, 
as opposed to sinful as we are, and who is willing to come and take the, the punishment that we ourselves deserve. Now, the Bible teaches us that that is exactly what Jesus Christ came to do. The Bible says that God left heaven, came to earth in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus lived a sinless life, never committed a sin. He died on a cross that he did not belong on because you and I belonged on that cross to pay for our own sins. But Jesus died on that cross in our place, took our place. He's the only one who could have. And then he rose from the dead to give us victory over death, okay? Jesus did that. Now, someone would say, wow, um, why didn't God just come himself? Why did he send his son to do his dirty work? Why didn't he just come himself? The answer is, he did. In fact, in a, in a way that is impossible to explain, God himself came to earth in the person of his son. So some, someone would say, well, why didn't God himself come. Well, he did. Well, did he send his son? Yes, he did. He both came and he sent his son, but it was all in the same act, all in the same person, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, that it wasn't just God the Son who died there, but the Bible says that God, Paul says this to the Colossians, he says, when Jesus was on the cross, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so God both died and sent his son to die so that we would not have to die. God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He took upon himself the responsibility for our sins. That's the gospel. The gospel is a word that means good news. But I want to take it one step further because some people say, not everybody says this, but some people say it, and I, I think it's a thought worth considering, even if we don't embrace it, is this. In dying for us, Jesus took upon himself the responsibility for our sins as well as God's responsibility. You say, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Most of us, most of us hold that God does not have any responsibility. God didn't sin, therefore, uh, he doesn't have any responsibility for what happened. Our sins, we are responsible for our sins, and that is absolutely true. But think about this. Where did evil come from? There's this problem called the problem of evil. In fact, the problem of evil is the number one reason people who don't believe in God or don't accept Christian faith it's the reason that they don't hold to any type of believing faith. It's because they cannot resolve the problem of evil. The problem of evil is basically this. How can an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-wise, all-good God exist at the same time evil exists? If God is all-powerful, he has the power to not only wipe out evil, but keep it from ever existing to begin with. It's true. If he's all-loving and all-good, he certainly would have kept it from happening. And yet, and if he's all-knowing, he would have known where evil is to find it and to destroy it. So if that is the case, then how can evil exist? It's the problem of evil. And let me tell you, it is a problem. It is not to be handled with a wink. It's a big, big, big problem. And some people 
say this. They said, well, uh, God did not, he's not responsible for evil. He didn't create evil. Uh, He allowed it, which everybody concedes that God had to have allowed evil to come into existence. But some folks say, no, whenever, whenever Lucifer was in heaven and he rebelled against God and took a third of the angels and God expelled them from heaven and they came to earth, that's where evil started. Other people say, no, but when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that's when evil started. They created evil. And I, I want to submit to you that neither one of those could be true. Adam and Eve didn't create evil. Neither did Lucifer create evil when he came out of heaven. And here's why. Uh, 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 picture it this way. Adam and Eve and Lucifer, who, who later becomes Satan, let's, let's picture them coming into a, a buffet restaurant and they're looking at the buffet. Evil is one of the entrees on the buffet. You see it there? Evil is on the buffet. And they didn't put evil there. They didn't cook it. They didn't create it, but they chose it. You with me? Hello? They chose it. Adam and Eve chose evil. They didn't create it. Lucifer, when he rebelled against God in heaven, he chose evil, but it was already on the buffet. Well, where in the world did it come from? It was, we, we know that God allowed evil. Did you know that the Bible says that God created evil? Isaiah the prophet was the most honest of all the prophets. And he says this in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 7. He's quoting God. God says, I formed the light and I created darkness. I formed prosperity and I created evil. I created evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, in some of your translations, the word evil there is changed The editors have changed that word evil to disaster. They've tried to water it down a little bit. But the root Hebrew word for evil, ra, we'd we'd spell it R-A, is right there in that word evil. It is literally evil. God is saying, I created evil. Now, we can look at the question, why would God do such a thing as that all day? We're not going to find the answer to that. But here is the point that some folks, I'm not saying I'm making this point, but here's what some folks say. When Jesus died on the cross, not only did he take our responsibility for, for our own sins, but if God holds any responsibility for having created or allowed evil to exist, God in Christ accepted that responsibility on the cross as well. Now, that's a pretty radical assertion. I'm not saying I hold to it. I'm saying some folks do. I just throw it out to you for your consideration. But here's what I do want to say. Most every religion today will tell you that there's something wrong with us. But every other religion on earth, except Christianity, says you can fix yourself either by following an eight-fold path or, or following the five pillars of Islam or, or, or you, you, you can accept Jesus plus do two, two years of missionary work, Mormonism, or you can be old Orthodox Judaism. If you follow these laws, you will get all... In other words, you can fix yourself by something you do. But only Christianity says, no, you can't. You can't do it. Only Christianity says that. Christianity says you can't, but God could and God did on the cross. He took your responsibility. 
And if God holds any responsibility, he took his responsibility too. So believe in God. But I also understand it's not enough to believe in God. You have to go the next step and believe in Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we love you. And we believe in God. But we also know that belief in God is what Satan believes. It's going to take more. We love your word. We love the Bible. But we also know that Satan reads your Bible, quotes it, memorized it, knows it better than we do. It takes more. We have to believe in Jesus. We have to believe, Lord, that you did what we could never do. You came here, you lived sinlessly, you died on the cross in our place, and you rose from the dead to give us life. And no other religious faith teaches that you would do such a thing. We believe you, Lord. And I pray, my prayer is that everybody in this room right now, before they leave here today, will know, hey, I have made the conscious decision to invite Jesus Christ into my life to be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.